Warning, the Thin Blue Lion podcast, Jack McAvoy, contains adult content. Jack and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. We were in Boulder now, on baseline heading toward a cascade. I was falling through the silence of the car. The impact of what they were telling me Sean had done was settling on me and leaving me as cold and dirty as the snow back on the side of the freeway. What about the note or something, I said. What? There was a note. We think it was a note. I noticed St. Louis glanced over at Wexler and gave him a look that said, you're saying too much. What? What did you say? There was a long silence. Then Wexler ignored St. Louis. Out of space, he said. Out of time. Out of space. Out of time. Just like that? Just like that. That's all it said. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line Podcast, Family Edition. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. And joining me today is my lovely wife, Cheryl Parker. Cheryl? I'm Cheryl Parker. I'm the wife of Philip Parker for 28 years, and uh, the mother of my two beautiful children, Philip and Sydney Parker. And also joining me is Philip Parker. Philip, uh, can you say something to the audience, please? I'm Philip Parker, the oldest of the Parker children. I have 30 plus years of being a <laughs> Parker child and being a, a, a child of a police officer. I do have experience uh, as a podcaster myself. I've listened to various podcasts and I've created a couple of my own. And then lastly, but definitely not least, is Sydney Parker. Sydney? Hi, my name is Sydney Parker, and I'm new to podcasting um, and policing. So um, it's a it's a Harry Bosch and, and well, not Harry Bosch, but Michael Connolly. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is all new for me. Mm -hmm. But Sydney, you say you're new to podcasting, but you do have you do listen to a lot of podcasts, right? Yes, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. That's true. And you helped me come up with this concept for the Thin Blue Line. Yes, so I. Why do. is that? Why did you do that? Well, I knew that you really liked Michael Connolly, and I wanted you to document your times um, on the force since you just recently retired. So, yeah, I thought it would be a nice way to do that. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod and our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content, where you will find more detailed experience concerning Jack McAvoy and Michael Conley. Now all that bullshit is out the way, it's time to get to work and probe into chapters one through four of The Poet.
hero is Jack McAvoy, a Rocky Mountain News crime beat reporter. As the novel opens, Jack's twin brother, a Denver homicide detective, has just killed himself, or so it seems. But when Jack begins to investigate the phenomenon of police suicides, a disturbing pattern emerges and soon suspects that a serial murderer is at work, a devious cop killer who's left a coast-to-coast -coast trail of suicide notes drawn from the poems of Edgar Allan Poe. It's the story of a lifetime, except that the poet already seems to know that Jack is trailing him. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues. For the defining theme for chapters one through four of the poet is. The irony of grief is that the person that you need to talk to about how we feel is the person who is no longer here. So as we dive and start diving into the chapters, I really want to reflect on the four chapters did encompassing did encompass what Philip read concerning the big idea in grief. And does anyone have any, you know, just, let's just, I'm throwing it out there. Anyone have, have anything to say about that first before we start going? Yes, no. So I know for myself, I haven't lost an immediate family member before, but what it, this did get me thinking about, especially something that Michael Colley wrote um, from Jake's perspective, Jack's perspective, mm -hmm. <laughs> which um, he says um, in chapter one, and I guess that I was both, for prisoners and suspects, and I guess that I was both now. Suspect as a brother, a prisoner of my own pride, the sentence, of course, would now be life. And it made me think Ooh, of... Boy, yeah, goodness gracious. It made me think of you, Mom, because I wanted to know, like, as you were reading these chapters, did you feel more empathy for Jack, considering the fact that you lost your mom, you know, as a, as a young adult? Um, I actually didn't think about my mom as a thinking as in reading it, I have mm. to be honest with you, because I I guess my mom's been gone for thirty plus years now. So mm. I I really um I really it's kind of a numb feeling. I do feel for people who are going through pain, but I don't I don't think it affects me when I'm reading something about it. Do mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I think it would be different if it was his mother who okay. was killed. So I think it has a lot to do with about who's passing away. And I've been lucky enough, knock on wood, to still have my siblings here. I haven't lost a brother. I think when you're dealing with grief, you identify with who's who was lost. Okay. Right. You know, and so that's probably why I didn't okay. experience what you th would think I would experience. Mm, yeah. But yeah. So uh, to pick up on what you said, Mom, um, I haven't had any grief mm -hmm. in that in the sense that Jack had here concerning Sean, mm -hmm. because both of my siblings are still here, both of my parents are still here. So like you like you said, Sydney, immediately I couldn't um, associate or have any empathy. I have empathy, but not associate on a more personal level when it comes to griefing. But Michael Connolly just brings it home in his yes, writings. I mean, you don't have to. But he definitely, I love that, I love that word, illustrates it. He definitely mm -hmm. illustrates it in his, in his writing style. He does. So one of the things I definitely like that Michael Connolly got was the, um, the naming of police officers. You know, Mac for McAvoy, 
um, St. Louis, you know, mm -hmm. all those different names. Wex. And right. And and I love um, I love that because that is what the culture of police. We do that to each other. Mm -hmm. well, what was your name, Dab? Big head. You know, because I have a, a big head, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Charlie Brown, especially with oh my god, in Academy, I was called Charlie Brown because you were just unlucky. No, because I got a big head, <laughs> you know, Charlie Brown head. So, but then later on in my career, when I used to hang around um, my two partners, uh, Jackie and Maria, boy, that sounds kind of. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, nowadays, the, the, tri the Trace Amigos, you know, that's what we used to call them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Two partners, I didn't say it the wrong way. No, I don't, yeah. Well, I don't you think know, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. just my mindset, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I digress. <laughs> I, see, I see where you're going. You see where I'm going. Yeah, I I see, you're police partners, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, I love that. I love that how Michael Conley put that out there um, when it comes to that. So, I mean, Death is My Beat just mm -hmm. seemed to grab me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, settle in because this is going to be good. Well, I'll go from the very start where um, I can just... Michael Conley does such a good job on, like you said, illustrating how... Uh, or just painting a picture. Because at the, at the very beginning of the book where um, he's notified of his brother's death, mm -hmm. um, uh, suicide, you, and he's painting the picture of not only receiving the news, but the, uh, the car ride mm -hmm. thereafter receiving that. Um, he states in the, in the, in the book, uh, Jack states that he can see the... Um, Street lights going by, and it's just yeah. it's just how he felt nauseous mm -hmm. and like a, a sick feeling. Mm -hmm. um, though it just painted a very vivid picture right. where you can start to feel, and then not only that, but when you close your eyes, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys did it, but when you close your eyes, I can see the uh, street lights going yeah. by. Right. So yeah. it's just the the the, the wording that he used. In the moment of uh, receiving grief news, mm -hmm. uh, was just brilliant to me. Yeah. Yes. No. I totally agree. Um, one of the things that that jumped out at me was again going back to Bob was about uh, Riley and how um, you know he he Mike Connolly had been saying you know any cop's wife would know mm -hmm. you know so. Again, painting that picture you were just talking about, about like a cop's wife and, and what it means for people to come up to your door like that. And I wanted to know, Mom, like, did like have you ever felt that way? Or what, what was your point of view of, of that point um, in the story? Well, I was so blessed and lucky that I never had anyone come to my door. Yeah. But I do know and can identify with the fact that if someone came to my door, they wouldn't have to tell me that something happened to your dad, mm -hmm. especially if I saw your Uncle Ted or Uncle Derek, because I would think that anyone on the force would know that those were his best friends and right. they would know that they would need to be here for me. So if I saw them out there with, um, with, with whatever official, I would know something happened. Okay. And so I can identify with how Riley reacted 
because you run away. She ran away because I really mm -hmm. think she didn't want to believe it. She's like, I don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. It's like at that point, you don't want them to tell you what has happened because right. you just want to hold on to the fact that you don't know. Right. Um, so that I definitely can identify with that piece, but I'm just so thankful that I never had to deal with it. And just to expound on that a little further, mm -hmm. there was a time when, again, let's remember this book is set in 1996 and pre-cell phones that's so abundant and accessible that everyone has now is that I made a mistake. Um, and I, so mom and I had this routine that if I did an early morning raid or anything of that nature, before I leave out, left out the house, kiss her, I, I love you, I'm, I'm, I left. And then once the operation was over, I then would call and or somehow communicate to her, hey, it's over with and we're just wrapping up. But one time I didn't do that. Mm. And so I didn't kiss her before she left out, before I left out. And she didn't know until I got home everything that had happened. And she was devastated. She was upset. She was mad at me. She was scared. And that, stick with, that sticks with me today. So I always made it my business to make sure that mom uh, knew um, at least when I left out the house and when things went, um, uh, that I got called back, yeah. I called her. Especially when we were able to talk more on cell phones. It's hard to believe that your dad and I go as far back on the police force where I remember he had a beeper. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> he used to crack me up. That's why when we watched The Wire, I laugh at the beeper part because um, I'm like, yeah, we lived that. You know, <laughs> he would have the beeper and have to go to the payphone and call right. someone. Right. He was lucky because I think when I first met you, your parents had given you a... Um, a cell phone for your car. That's when the cell, there wasn't a cell phone. It, it was, was a, a mobile phone in the car. Right. And so he would have to be in the car though to make a call. And so I just, um, I, it just, it just took me, it, it took me back and not, uh, just realizing that we actually were living this time from mm -hmm. the way this book was written at the time that Michael Connolly wrote in it. The, in the police world. Yeah, in the police world. So I think not having the cell, having cell phones now makes it even worse for families uh, because you can you can learn so much information. It's hard to keep information quiet mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. people will call or do you know or did you hear. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just sometimes you don't need all that accessibility. I think we had it better when we didn't, right. you know, for certain things, when you didn't have all that accessibility. I don't know if I think I went off on a tangent no, from no, what no you problem. were asking. No but Go. Mm -hmm. I, I did want to mention a point, though. Did you have another point, Sydney? I wanted to mention a point about how um, when they talked about in the first chapter about the number of bodies, mm -hmm. like he knew that his brother he wondered when his brother's um, time would come on what, what number of bodies would he, would it take for him to say, okay, I can't do homicide anymore, or I can't do this. And the bodies were associated, that number of bodies was associated with what they drank. Mm -hmm. Like over the years, he could see how cops may start off. He talked about how his brother was drinking light beer. He wonders when his brother was going to get to the whiskey or the, mm -hmm. the hard liquor because of the fact that you try to drown out all of the bodies. So I think we talked, I wanted to talk to, well, I wanted to mention to the kids about how I think when your dad got up to retirement, he actually, I could see his body count 
you know, it's not necessary. He wasn't homicide and he didn't have, you know, bodies where people had died, but it was more about the cases and all of the court um, sessions and so forth. I could see that his body count was at its limit, mm -hmm. like he was ready to retire. That's interesting, Mo, because actually, it, without, when you're reading that, it put it in perspective because being the child of a police officer, uh, especially my dad, he never brought any of that home to right. us. So, um, and it was for those who uh, are listening, our father really doesn't, he's not a drinker. No. So when you associate uh, the amount of bodies mm -hmm. for uh, how much a particular police officer has seen, uh, it just goes to make the mind wander. You know, how, how else did, you know, our dad uh, incorporate what he's mm. seen and and not bring it home. Right. Um, okay. So I, I, that it made me wonder because I've never. We've always known what our dad does. We yeah. knew he was a police officer. We knew he was a detective, but uh, he never. Uh, sh he ne it never showed his profession. Never showed at home. He mm -hmm. left the proverbial badge you know out mm -hmm. on the door and then you know he was dad when he came home so we never saw mm -hmm. you know the 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 proverbial bodies that right. he's particularly seen or the the scenes that he had to record or any of that kind of stuff we never saw the effects of that when he came home other than like little ways like <laughs> well it's funny you say that phil because one of the things that mom stopped me early on was <laughs> interrogating you guys i mean it was especially you it's funny because you know we in our family uh podcast listeners we we say uh our lives is, uh in quadrants and one of the quadrants is bs before Sydney, you know, <laughs> and before Sydney, there was nothing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Philip got everything, and, and, and he he got exposed to me inter by interrogation skills were kind of honed on him, yes. you know, him being a normal kid, you know, and you know, is he deceitful? And I would I would say to him, I asked him a question, and then you know, like, well, you look to your left, are you sure you're not lying? And he was <laughs> hey. looking at me, he was like, I had this dead stare in his face, like. No, Dad, I'm telling the truth. But... Psychoanalyzing my right. So I would, mom would get mad at me and say, stop doing that. You stop that. So that happened a lot. That happened. So. Dad, so what was it, though? Like, if you, you weren't into drinking, I know that you weren't, like, doing, like, a typical, cra not crazy, but, like, vices that a lot of police officers usually get into how how were you processing yeah because you weren't a drinker mm -hmm. you weren't a smoker uh because i believe jack was a smoker mm -hmm. right. so you know what kind of vices did you have to to make you come to grips with some of the things that you had to deal with case-wise exactly. and good question. things you were seeing you know on a daily basis good I, and you know what's funny you guys know the answer to this tech I'm yeah. a geek. Oh, okay. That's true. You know, so, and it's funny oh, you that say that. that is true. Because yeah, everyone, I'm, I'm cheap though, except for when. For when it comes to tech. When it comes to tech. Mm -hmm. yeah. So everyone would say, you know, I would ride, I would drive 10 miles to save two cents on gas, mm -hmm. but if, don't let the latest, latest and greatest gizmo come out. Right. I would buy it. You know, think about all the tech that you guys had growing up. Yeah. Right. So that was how I fed that. You know, I, I immersed myself in tech. And so that helped me, um, be, beat some of that demon away. And you know, thanks to mom, you never actually really questioned it 
because my tech bill is kind of, it's kind of, exp- no, it's, it's kind of expensive over here. It has been. But I, I think, I, I'm glad you said that because I never really thought about, like, how did you do your release? Because I was so lucky. I never, I was busy myself working uh-huh. and we were raising you guys. So I never really thought about, I never thought about all that daddy was going through. Right. I really didn't. And I don't think it was until, and I said that to you when you, right before you retired, I said, oh my gosh, I don't think I really thought about all of that weight that has been on you all these years. Because mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, you really want to retire? Because I think he's <laughs> going to be bored. You know, I'm like, there's no way Phil wants to retire. Because I thought you're going to be bored. Then it's going to be a whole nother issue, you right. know, but he had a lot of weight on him that I didn't realize. And I think it's, it built over the years, but the, the biggest thing that you did to release it was those video games. Because oh, if you yeah. know, oh, yeah, that, yeah. Not that, you that, know, goes that would always disappear. It would go, oh, we'd be, be tech, but think about it. When dad came yes. home from work, he would go downstairs go and he college. would play video games. And then it got even better when you could do the, Xbox Live and yeah, you could brother, do you could do it with the, with the, with all the police that. officers that and so they would do the cool. shoot 'em up games mm-hmm. and yeah, stuff. And you know what's and, funny? Talking yeah. about warped it is, you know, you, you process it by doing more shoot 'em up stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But my favorite thing was sitting down here and you would say, because I ask a lot of questions and I talk a lot and Dad would be like if you're gonna sit down here, you can't talk. <laughs> so sit down, and then you would play the zombie game, the one with world—I don't know what it was—World War Z Call or of Duty, something. Yeah. World War something. Mm-hmm. Right, the I zombies were coming, the German zombie something, and it was just—that was my favorite game. I don't know why I loved you doing that, and I would be like, yes and no, whenever you would die. Or okay. <laughs> so that's, that's a- so interesting. But thank you because that that brings it full circle. I never really thought about what he did as a release mm-hmm. because we were just moving right when we were when we were both of us were working parents and we were trying to do our best to raise you guys to be incredible kids as you I think we did a good job they're incredible kids both of them um, and so that's just you don't have time to really think you don't think about right. that right so yeah but so as, and as we keep going with the book um, one of the things that really that I would ask you guys is that what happened was it appears to me that Jack and Sean, even though they were twins, they definitely, they separated, like I said, haircuts were different, different career paths, but they were the same in the sense, I want you guys, you guys pick up on that too, because even though they were twins, they did everything in their power to separate themselves, to, to identify differently, but it seemed like they both um, achieved certain goals, like Jack was a freelance, not a freelance, but he was at the pinnacle of writing where he can pick any story he wanted to write about, and his his was writing about uh, murders. And Jack, excuse me, Sean was at the at the, at the top of being in charge of the cast, the Crimes Against Persons mm-hmm. Bureau in the department. Even so, even though they were separate, I want to know: Did you guys pick up on that, or was that something that you guys picked up on? That, no. How they were similar, but even though different, they still were similar. I think that as twins, I think probably twins who read this book could probably really identify with the fact that you want to have your own identity because you're identical twins. But I think you're right. I didn't catch it. I didn't think about it. But as you say it, I do see how they both of their career paths and the both of where their lives went were similar, except for the fact that Sean obviously got married right. and that yeah, Jack that did difference. not. Um, but I just thought, 
I thought that they they were trying so much to be different that right. they were so much alike. Got it. And that's probably why they butt heads. I don't know what caused them to not talk as much, but yet, at least yet. Um, but I could tell that they were they were going against each other. Right. And did you guys pick, what about you, fellas? Did you pick up on that? I actually I didn't. Okay. Uh, the the biggest thing that um, I picked up on was how when you have a sibling, you can always and not always, but majority of the time, you can you can pick up on uh, things regarding your, your your sibling. Okay. Uh, how Jack knew, you know, he had a feeling that something wasn't right when he first got. The news that his brother was committed suicide right. because having a sibling is certain things about your sibling that you know that particularly your parents wouldn't know or their spouse wouldn't know. Right. Um, so that's the biggest. That's that's one of the biggest takeaways I had was the connection that Jack had. Uh, Jack knew his brother. Mm -hmm. You know, you like you said they they tried so hard not to be alike that they were. But that connection that they had was just undeniable. Well, well let, me, let me hold you right there. Did you like the part where, when Jack, so let's, let's get the listeners, bring the listeners along. Uh, Sean had the big murder case about a female who was, who was cut in half. Mm -hmm. Teresa. Teresa, mm -hmm. and it was weighing on her. And it was a big story, a big story. Mm -hmm. And so no one could get into the police world to get the little nuances. So Jack, told his editor, I can do it. I got a brother who's working the case. Right. Did you like the fact that he tried, he isn't Jack trying to get Sean to give him some information, but then they went to back to those sibling days to get him, to get him mad, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and then Sean says, don't, don't even try that, you know? Right. And it didn't say he went any further than that. You know, he, he, he isn't Sean recognized that Jack was poking at him mm -hmm. as, as siblings do. Mm -hmm. And then, but he said, that's not going to work. You know, Jack, that's not going to work. Move on. Because I've done that to Sydney a couple of times where I had some kind of ulterior motive mm -hmm. that, you know, you... But that's, again, that's how much you know your sibling. You know right. that your normal routine with them isn't going to work. Right. So you have to kind of conjure up some kind of secondary <laughs> motive to get them to do your bidding. Right. So I, I've, I've, def I've definitely... Witnessed that on a handful of, of times when it comes to Sydney, but you also sometimes it comes at a price because that new way that you're trying to do something it has almost reversed effects. Mm. So I, I might I don't know if if I want her to turn left mm -hmm. and I try to use some kind of ulterior way than just telling her to turn left, she might turn right. And then have an accident. Yes. I so it's I it's it, yeah. it's a it's it, it's a catch twenty two because sometimes it works, mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't. But then again, that's how you really have to know your sibling. Yeah. Right. It, it comes it it's something that comes with time. It's not uh, generated within a couple of weeks or mm -hmm. a couple of days or anything like that. It, it has to be naturally driven. Got it. Right. Um, no, all I I agree. A thousand percent with what was said. One thing that I took away from the just the whole siblings piece was just how how we found out that they were siblings because at the beginning we we heard we just heard that 
It was his brother. It was his. Well, we even just heard that it was a guy named Sean. Right, 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 right. right. And then we hear that it's his brother. Mm-hmm. And then, like way later in the chapter, we figure out that they're identical twins. And I just right. thought that was a really good piece of storytelling. And going back to Stephen King, where he was saying that this book, you just pull layers and layers mm. back, and that was such a creative way of just developing the characters of the first Great few point. pages. Great point. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it, it would be easier. I, I think I would be my twin brother. In the very uh, beginning, was was was, was found was dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like just okay. telling instead of showing. But then, as you said, the layer. Wow, that's good. That's that's a good mm-hmm. interpretation. And not only that, but also how um, Michael Conley writes it. He he makes you care about these characters while they're being introduced. Yeah. Yes. So, like you said, if if he just blurted everything out in the beginning. Uh, Jack's brother Sean, twin brother Sean, and all that kind of stuff. It does. It, it kind of sullies the moment. But as you're reading, it builds up the ant- anticipation where it's like, okay, when you find out this guy who's mm-hmm. who's died, who's the guy? Mm-hmm. You find out it's his brother. Okay, well, you know what happened to him? Mm-hmm. You find out it's his twin brother. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's building mm-hmm. anticipation. So the way he, that is written. It makes you care about these characters a little bit more as mm-hmm. it goes along. Yes, I totally agree. So, mm-hmm. so as we keep on going, Sydney, um, this question's to you. Mm-hmm. Did you understand? Well, first to you, I'm gonna ask each other, you guys. Did you understand why Sean didn't get the show? Do you understand? What, what, did Michael do a good job explaining what the show was when it comes to Sean being killed and the funeral procession? Oh, um, yeah. So, first, first I did it. Like I. I mean, I, I really thought that it was because, um, you know, he, he didn't die in the line of duty. Right. Like, did you guys go that way? Wow. Well, I thought the show, now, when I, I thought the show was um, all the police officers, you know, coming up yes. and, and mm-hmm. saying their condolences, how right. sad, how sorry they were. That's when I, when I hear the show, that's what I, I assumed it was. Right. Yeah, I did know that the show was the fanfare that comes along with the death of a police officer. You know, you've seen pictures of in Chicago how they do the big, even here. But I, um, I, and just the bagpipes and Mm -hmm. the, the, um, it's just a lot of show. Show, yeah. (laughs) But I, I felt like they didn't do it because they were ashamed over the fact that right. he had killed himself. Right. And so a lot of officers didn't come to support that. Um, but it also made me sad because the in the opening or in the um, this, the uh, the credits about what the story is about, it seems like we're going to find out that he didn't um, die from a suicide. That okay. It's probably a murder. So I'm really hoping that they go back and give him his show. So, That's what I was thinking about. I hope he gets, I, I hope, hope they go back it. to yeah. that and that he actually gets it because it sounds like he was an incredible detective and he really deserved that. And uh, as our detectives put their lives on the line, you know, I feel like every bit of what they're supposed to have, they should get. Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. just to, so just to give you a personal um viewpoint on the show and why most police officers didn't show up was it's kind of like just to get the listeners and you guys in the mindset since right right now we're dealing with COVID-19 and you don't really know how this disease is passed on Mm -hmm. imagine a suicide in the police world as a Mm COVID-19 and you don't want to catch it you know you don't as a police officer you don't want to catch the disease of committing suicide you want to think that you're strong enough to deal with 
whatever the problem is, and to be able to move forward. Again, we're, we're analyzing this book in 2020 opposed to when it happened in 1996. Right. And in 1996, yes, every department had an employee assistant program or EAP, but not no one really talked about that. No cop really talked about going to EAP unless it was mandatory. You know, it's crazy. It, it's crazy. Again, it's it's well, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And police departments are well better off now dealing with emotional problems. Mm-hmm. But back then, you didn't talk about, about your emotions. You know, you talking about get out there and do do your job, and and we don't want to hear about your pain. But so that's why a lot of police officers, and again, Michael Connolly gets it right, mm-hmm. didn't show up for just even the regular burial. Right. Um, so the now it's twenty twenty. From what you know. Mm-hmm. Like, is therapy more a part of the culture? Definitely. Okay, because it's like you're Definitely. in homicide. You're Definitely. seeing dead bodies. Like, that's something that, that veterans, you know, war veterans are seeing, you know? Well, see, again, you you are you are looking at through 2000, 2020 yeah, prism. And back then, like I said, even even I, I gave you guys an example, but one of my old partners, he went to FBI's Innocent Imaging and that program is uh, going after pedophiles. Hmm. And there are some really sick, excuse me, oh, you know what, you are adults. There's some sick fuckers out there. And the stuff that he saw and he was telling me, I saw the physical mm. toll it took on him after a month. Mm, wow. And so they made those guys, um, because it, it, the washout rate was so fast. Mm-hmm. The washout rate was so fast with that unit because so... I think they started making those guys go to some type of um, uh, psychological therapy. therapy. Thank mm-hmm, you, Bob. Mm-hmm. Some, some, some psychological therapy. So that's important because, again, Michael Connelly's weaving that into the book. Right. Also, when it comes to, as we progress through the chapters, why that is important. But I want you guys to understand some of the premise behind why um, police officers didn't show up, even at uh, Sean's um, uh, funeral. Mm. Because... because it's like COVID nineteen. Nobody wants to catch it. Right. It's some it cops extremely superstitious. There's no rhyme or reason behind it, but you you don't want to be in the room with it and not deal with it. So moving forward, I wanted to uh, talk to you about the fact that um, you know Jack McAvoy is a news reporter. Yes. And uh, he worked specifically. Like, he specifically worked homicide cases and. I didn't know if there was news reporters specific to narcotics like it was for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there was? Okay. Yeah. So then, like, did you, like, I know you... Well, let me, let me, let me, I'm sorry, let me clarify. Not specifically, but they, they seemed to write about, uh, they were always on the crime beat. Oh, the crime beat. And okay. the crime beat dealt with, they had homicides, definitely, but then they had crime beats who dealt with all major events. And most of the time, the cases that I dealt with was mostly a big takedown. Okay. So you dealt with the same type of reporters. So, so go ahead. Well, then it brings the question of like you had friends in the court, you had friends at other places. Did you have friends on the like in news? Or yes. Did you know in people the there yes. in the press? Yes, I did. Yes. And how how was your relationship with them? It was a yin and yang. Um, I talked about this in other in, you know this self, you know do what you say cross promote you know uh-huh. in my other on the um, Harry Bosch uh, <laughs> Harry Bosch. Um, the Black Echo series. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Cross promoting here. Yeah, I, I did. I talked about it then. And I did. I had a, a reporter who I dealt with a lot. And him and I had this good relationship. And, you know. I never did that. Yeah. He would call 
and say, Phil, what's going on? Like, I can't tell you right now, but, you know, the, you know this might happen when it does. So it went back and forth. So you did, you know, any, any, any investigator with the salt had a good trusting relationship. And it was interesting because I even talked about it back in the Black um, Echo is that it was a trust with police officers and reporters, that, that trust is not there anymore. Oh, wow. You know, um, um, it's sad because, you know, it's just certain things you wouldn't report about and or certain things that you would be able to talk to reporters about and then would be on the record, off the record, and they kind of lived that, um, they, they not lived it, but they honored those traditions. Is that those, those things are gone. Wow. That's sad to hear. So again, so so we're progressing through the book and the show after the um, the funeral. One of the things that I wanted to ask you guys as siblings that Jack kind of felt we get to go back to what you said about layers. Michael kind of also slides in there that there was a sister who passed away, right. and that scene that her death seemed to have distanced the parents from Jack because evidently Jack survived whatever happened, the incident, whatever mm -hmm. happened. And the children, again, you start to see, like you just said, feel the layers that Michael Connelly, so now we're going to hear about this particular layer with his sister. But one of the things that, that Jack has said that he felt as though he disappointed his parents. Yeah. And I, ask, I want to ask, I'm going to ask you first, Phil, did we as parents come off that way that we dis that, that, that we were disappointed in you and or, and or, because um, I know we're demanding. We're demanding parents. Definitely demanding parents. However, I've I always felt like um, my parents didn't demand anything but for us to try our best. Yeah. Um, nothing professionally was demanded on us. A backstory. I think if you haven't mentioned it already, we have several police officers. In our family, right. mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so Just the, the service family overall, right? Yeah. So the the everybody expected mm -hmm. me to be a police officer. It's like that was like my your well, go to. You asked that when you were a kid. You remember that? So you remember that? Yeah, you asked that. You asked that. You asked that as a kid. You know, when we were all together, being you know, your uncles, my best friends, and all these cops coming around, you kind of looked up at me one day and said. Dad, do I got to be a cop? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure you did ask, yeah. do I have to be a cop? Yeah, you know? do I have to be a cop? But and that's, we were but like, that was, no. That's what's expected. But you know, I, my parents, they, they, they never put that, that kind of uh, pressure or expectation. You know, you just do what you want to do and just, mm -hmm. just be, make sure you be the best at it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's, that's the only thing that was you know, demanded of, uh, well, for me. Right. No, same here. And Cindy's I, the golden child. So. <laughs> oh, whatever. golden child. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it was interesting the way that Jack was describing his parents at the funeral, yes. saying that they were strangers because I don't believe, and I can speak for my brother too, that we would ever look at you guys as strangers only on certain times of the year mm -hmm. you know like we just have a very transparent relationship right that um we we're always just talking about like okay if there's an elephant in the room we're gonna get it out like right away <laughs> as yeah. quickly as possible well if you don't if, if our parents don't hear from us within a week it's they're, they're, they're blowing up our phone like, oh, yes. what the hell is wrong with What's you? Wrong yeah. with you? No, no, for sure. So, <laughs> I, I just couldn't relate particularly to the to this part of the story, but it also made me sad 
that I mean, I do know a lot of my friends whose relationships are like that with their yes. parents. Yeah, and I think the, the significance about this relationship is the fact that they had a death of a sibling That's very mm -hmm. and the death of a child. Mm -hmm. And none of us have experienced that. So I think by us not experiencing it, we can't really connect to what it is that he is feeling on whatever distance there is between him and okay. his parents. Because okay. I think he felt like, the way I read it, I think he felt like, that he was being punished by his parents because he's the one who survived. Yes, yes. he did and say yeah. that. Yes, he did say that. And yes. now it's going to be even double that because now Sean is gone. Sean is gone. Wow. So he's the last wow. one. Wow, he's the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Actually, it, for me, it gives me an adverse effect because we can't kind of wrap our brains around that. You know, mm. if 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 someone if if one of us were to pass away, I think. One of us, meaning the, the kids, I think it will bring us closer together mm -hmm. than to separate us. Right. Even if we if we had like an extra, if there was another one of us, right. so if we had another brother or sister, mm -hmm. uh, I think it will bring us closer. So in actuality, reading that, it put an adverse effect on me because I'm like, well, how can people separate themselves right. in that in that form of fashion? How could you lose someone but distance yourself? From the people that you're closest to, or you're supposed to be closest to, yeah. right? So okay. it kind of yeah. gives a, an adverse effect. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so, mm -hmm. so then we have um, Jack then going on a sabbatical for mm -hmm. a couple of weeks to get himself together. But he comes back, and one of the things I wanted to—I'll start with you, Mom, on this one. Did you take any? How did you feel about Jack's editor hinting slyly or? you know, inferring that Jack write, write a story about his brother uh, passing. Well, I didn't think he got an opportunity to hint. I think he intended to want to hint, but I think Jack came in there thinking that um, I want to do the story. Mm -hmm. And so he gave him, the, took him took him off the hook or uh, let him off the hook. Let him off the hook. Um, so because if you notice in the when he in that particular scene, he finishes his sentences. OK, so I don't think he is it who remember. Oh, Jack. Jack finishes his editor's um, sentences. Right. So I don't think that the editor really had a hard time. And, and I don't have an issue with Jack doing that because I I would feel the same way. He's like, I need to find out what happened to my brother. Right. And I think his, his go-to is writing. So mm -hmm. he's like, if I do my investigation as I would when I'm writing any other crime story, then I'm going to find out the truth of what happened to Got my it. brother. Got mm -hmm. it. But what about you, Sydney? Yeah, no, I... I, I took it a little bit of a different way, but I could see mm -hmm. see how how that would be. Even when um, we were reading it, he did seem eager, but I do think that he was feeling conflicted. Yes, Jack was feeling conflicted as to what what he should be doing because of the fact that you have him sitting in a place as a brother, trying to feel grief, trying to go through the different steps of grief. He was saying, you know. Um, First is denial, mm -hmm. next is anger, then it's acceptance. Right, and that, and that so cycle kept repeating. It kept on repeating, and it's like, you could tell that this process was going to push him in that direction Got again. It. But then as a news reporter, he is always investigating homicides, and he wants to understand what happened here. Right, 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 right. What about you, Phil? Did you, I, I, I just the editor. Yeah, I, I feel the same way as Sydney. I, I feel like 
he was conflicted. Uh, he, he he definitely it was. He, he definitely didn't have one way or another that he felt. I, I, in the moment, I do feel like he was excited about that possibility. However, like I said, when it comes to writing about a sibling, that had to be hard. Right. So it, it, it's it's even harder to dig into those details. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the mere fact that he was having the, the thought of grief um, over and over in his head, right. I think that played a part yes. of him possibly not wanting to do it. But then mm-hmm. like you like mom said, the fact that his edit the editor came to him about that possibility, I think it was exciting yes. right. to do. But like I said, to have that drawback is is definitely I think it was kinda like, you know, he was on the fence Back about it. Right. No, the, there's themes of that throughout the entire four chapters. Well, three of the four chapters where at first, he's talking about, Mom, you had mentioned this before, the fact that whenever he's talking to a family member who has recently lost somebody, right. he just gives out the question, um, how are you feeling? Which is supposed to signif- signify care, but it really doesn't. And then late, and now, as people are asking him, how are you feeling? He's like, you know, he, he just can laugh because of the fact that now he's in it now. At, he he's experiencing that and then even when later into chapter four when he actually gets to the chance to dig into the case file he actually puts the pictures aside where, mm-hmm. whereas well i'm sure in um in other cases he would have dug in saw what the pictures were all about you know just just went through everything without really having a second thought about it but now with this being his brother it's like no let me put the pictures aside i'm not ready to deal with that piece right, right now i'm just going to look through the rest of the case file because it's so personal right. but did you also so knowing michael Conley background so just to familiarize you guys with michael Conley, he used to be a reporter Mm, and before wow. he became a writer. I didn't know that. And for LA Times. So to me, Jack McElroy is Michael Conley almost writing about himself. Okay. Right. You know, in a, in a sense. I and I really that. wonder, I guess I get to do some research to see did he lose a sibling? Mm. And what was the, uh, the, the fact that he could write... Or a, a friend. Or a friend. The fact that he could write a novel, the poet, and... The writer, the writer is the hero of the story. Right. You know, that's to me is really insightful. It's poignant. Point. I like this better. Mm-hmm. Of Michael Conley and, and his uh, how proliferate his writing is. So as we keep on going, what to, we're gonna I'm gonna skip over chapter three and go to chapter four. And we're gonna come back to chapter three because I like to end the podcast on chapter three. Excuse me, I like to end this episode on chapter three, but. Sydney, to kind of ducktail what you said about police officers and reporters having this relationship, in so far in the Harry Bosch books and now in a poet, Michael Conley lets the listener or the reader see there is this relationship between police and writers. And one of the things that <clears throat> one of the things that we see here is that the police, I guess, is the gym is a captain now. Yes, mm-hmm. and he is moving. Michael O'Connor, right, uh, uh layers it is that he's up and coming, you know, a rising star and right. has aspirations. Well, he, well, it, the way he, the way I looked at it, and you, ca- you guys have to correct me if I'm wrong. 
their careers kind of coincided with each other. Yes. So when he was a beat cop, you know, they they worked together because he was one of the police officers that actually came to his brother's funeral. And that was was a good point. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Good point. So I think they have a kinship with each other because their careers followed each other. His was just on the force and... Jax was in the re- in the newspaper, mm-hmm. but I think that's why he felt that he could trust him and that he knew that he would support him and what he needed yeah. to do what he needed to do for his brother. Right. So Jack goes and visits the captain, and the captain gets up from his desk and leaves uh, Jack there to review the case jacket concerning Sean's death. How did you... I picked up on... I want to know how you felt about how much information was in the investigative file folder and the fact that Michael Conley pointed out that it was so thin. How'd you feel about that? I I was bothered by it because I felt like, especially as a police officer's wife, um, that uh, every officer in his unit should be questioning the fact that he killed himself Mm -hmm. because they should know him as a leader and as a colleague where his mindset was okay. and, it, it, and even if you if you didn't know i would question it enough to ask more information than what was in that file well you, let me piggyback on something because we, we talked about this before we recorded one of the things you had problems with about what so far in the investigation did you pick up on something that you had a problem with oh i definitely did and what was that when jack looked at the photos because if you notice when he first got the file he skipped over the photos yes mm-hmm. and he went through everything else first because I don't think he really wanted to see the photos of his brother's death but then he knew he had to look at those photos but because of his grief I think he missed something that he would have normally picked up on as as a crime reporter and that is that he could see the ranger shack up a low hill from the from the scenes of the car in the parking lot. Right. So remember the park ranger, he was supposed to have not seen anything. He couldn't see anything from where he was. Okay. He could only hear. Right. Um, and so I don't, I think that's a lie. I think that he, <laughs> I think that he <laughs> could like definitely, <laughs> I think he could have definitely seen it. And I would have questioned that if I was the officers working the case. Okay. Outside, you know, I can see why Jack doesn't see it yet. Mm-hmm. He's looking and just gathering his information. Mm-hmm. But the cops who were supposed to be detectives who are looking to see what happened to their friend I would think that they would they would see that okay but I don't think anyone's caring enough about the case which makes me feel like there's something shady going on in that office mm-hmm. you, you, sound, know? you sound like you don't trust Michael Connolly well no not that I don't trust <laughs> Michael Connolly but I feel like he's writing about a police office that may be corrupt or maybe something's going on okay and so uh, and I can just tell that because of the lack of care that was right. put into the investigation that's why it's so thin all right so, so. do you have any ideas any opinions or thoughts about the how how small the case jacket was and what did that symbolize anything yeah no i i just constantly hear or or feel like they're i would believe if a friend had died that you worked with or that you know you you know you would put a lot of effort and care into making sure that that investigation was was wrapped up nicely you know and that to hear that the case file was so small um Signals to me that there wasn't like people were just trying to push it under the rug. Yes, 
That, that came out in the very beginning of the book, mm -hmm. how they were like, leave this alone, Jack, you know, just let it lie, just let it go. Mm -hmm. you know, let it go. Let's move on for them to feel that way. You know, you know, if so it quickly, was, so quickly. I just felt like, don't you all care enough to figure out, you know, your friend, I would be like, well, let's just make sure that this is the case. <laughs> uh, but none of that is happening, which is odd to me. It wasn't even a suicide note. It was just that little writing on the car. Well, that could be considered a suicide mm -hmm. note, but go on before we. Phil, what about you? Anything about the, the case jacket? Uh, that well, you? when I read that part, I immediately thought of red flag okay. because uh, anytime I, I'm using just general knowledge here. If I if I hear a suicide, I'm gonna try to find out well why did this person want to commit suicide. So then I'm gonna look into their therapy. You know, mm -hmm. I talk to their doctor, talk to their therapist, talk to their friends. Mm -hmm. There has to be some kind of log or some kind of file that has all that evidence in it. You know, something that they talk to or who they talk to. And um, that should be included in that file. And they did have that in the file, but it was just very limited. It, was, it just kept on saying, uh, Teresa, Teresa, like, it's just because he could never get over this death. And they're, they're so, they're so inconspicuous about him not getting that open case file of what that was. It just right. all just looks suspicious. Yeah, it's very thin. It's I very think thin. there was so much more to his therapy sessions right. than but, what they put in the well, file. Well, not even that, but even mm -hmm. the, the therapy, but any kind of background information, right. like you said, it, the, 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 if this was ruled a suicide, I would want to know why this person committed suicide. What, what events led to it? Mm -hmm. Who, what... Would people contribute to it? Yes. I, that all that would be in a file. I, I'm assuming. So why the file was so thin was a red flag for me off the bat. Yeah. Okay, but so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the um, devil's advocate. Uh, thank you, devil's advocate on this. What else did you? I mean, okay, they're cops, and there was a, so you you started the premises. What happened? Mm -hmm. And you have what you think is a suicide note. You have gunshot residue on the glove. You Why did gun... he have gloves on? Okay, that that could be, but you these are questions you don't never know. But the glove, the gunshot residue, and the gunshot residue of the that was in the throat because he took a deep breath or he was breathing when 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 the gun went off. The fact of the matter that he was not impaired. He didn't have any alcohol or any illicit substance in his blood. Why is nobody even asking the question about who he met at that bar? But they did. No, no, no. Yeah, no. but they didn't do, do they very didn't hard. They didn't do very hard. They didn't care. No. I mean, these are supposed to be the top detectives yes. okay. of the of the whole special. Denver police. They're the special unit, right? Yes. Right. They're like major crimes in L.A., right? right. So, so, so what's going what's on? Going on? So, I don't. I feel like that it's definitely very oh, it's very clear. Okay, so you shady. Guys, so basically, your antenna up, your rib. Red flags going off, yes. neon signs mm -hmm. are going off. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, and, and, and like mom said, when that when uh, when you have gloves and stuff on, it's just to me it just screams red flag. Because if if you're if I'm going to, I I don't want to speak for people who have committed suicide, but I'm logically thinking if you want to commit suicide, you will want it to be known that you're committing suicide. Yes. Right. You you don't want to lead it to believe that. Somebody else did this to me. Mm -hmm. I did this to myself. Yeah. Right. So it some of the clear. things mm -hmm. it should be clear. Mm -hmm. You were hoping to be clear. So mm -hmm. some of the things that um, that Jack did, it just oh some of the things that 
uh, were said that were done in the um, you mean Sean, Sean, right? Uh, some of the things that Sean allegedly did, it just weren't. It wasn't adding up. It, right. it, it just screamed. In this family, like I said, we have antennas. Your antennas start going up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, so podcast listeners. I raised a jaded family because as you can hear, <laughs> oh, so they're let me, let me, everything. So yeah. let me let me let me let me expand on yes. that. So in our family, if you don't answer one of our questions clearly, right. then it leads to two additional questions. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you don't answer those questions uh, to our confidence that they're truthful, then they lead to more questions. Exactly. So to to the end all be all is answer the question up front. Up front, the correct way. Because okay. if you if if there's any kind of doubt, if there's any kind of uh, I don't know, I don't know about that, we're going to ask more questions. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and like Mom was saying, and I think that's why her answer was so adamant that some of the things weren't adding up, and it just led to more questions that should have Should've been asked that were never asked. Okay. Yes, and for a, a, a person to be such a prominent leader, which they made that clear, mm-hmm. that he was an incredible officer. Mm-hmm. So that's how you treat an incredible officer? You okay. just kind of throw it under yeah. the rug? And I, I, I don't know. I'm just bothered by the whole glove thing because I think the person who killed him took the gloves off and put them on him. And so the residue, of course, would be on him. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It got me questioning. Like, literally, I have notes in here that's like, Highlight is he the poet? Highlight is he the poet? Highlight is so he you're looking the poet? for the poet, right? Yeah, yeah. right off the bat. Yes. Every every character every, start... every, every, every character is a poet. And, and we starting he... off with all the police officers, Scalari, <laughs> um, and uh, what, what, Wexler, Wexler, all of them. They're the two first two. Mm-hmm. Yep, this I mean, even the captain, Doctor Collins, yeah, even the captain, Dorshner. even the captain who showed in the files. He's a, he's, a, he's yes. Oh no, not the captain. I put the captain. in No, there. I didn't put the captain in there. <laughs> the witness I think the captain. The, I think the captain was. Um, it, I, I didn't. I didn't think of that as the captain. The captain's like his person, but yeah. He, he did show up at the. The captain showed up at the funeral. Yeah. But that's because no, they say they don't. No, they say they, they say don't don't, don't don't people say that the, the criminals show back up at the scene of the crime. Yeah, but I don't think it's the case. Wait, I, I actually I did find myself doing the same thing. So when I when once the thing with the whole red flags started going, on, I went all the way back to chapter mm-hmm. one and started going back on each character mm-hmm. and trying to figure out, okay, does this person have a red flag that mm-hmm. I'm not catching so far? Mm-hmm. Like mom said, I went back to both detectives mm-hmm. that told Jack about his about the, 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 the death. Yeah. And then, you know, every character thereafter, I'm, I'm second guessing. Yes. Oh, cynical. yes. You guys are cynical. Oh, my God. Yes. And that brings us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day from the poet, chapters one through four. As a reporter that covers murder stories, Jack retold an incident while seeking a story from the book. How do you feel? Trusty words for a reporter. Always the first question. If not so direct, then carefully camouflaged. In words that's meant to impart sympathy and understanding. Feelings I didn't really actually have. I carry a reminder of this carelessness, a thin white scar running alongside of my left cheek, just above the line of my beard. It was from a diamond engagement ring 
of a woman whose fiance had been killed in an avalanche near Brackenridge. I asked her to old standby, and she responded with a backhand across my face. Question. While dealing with the death of a loved one, if a reporter approached you in the same manner, how would you respond? Well, 38% of you said a slap across the face, and 61% said you would sit down and tell the story. You know, thank you guys so much. Like I said throughout my podcast, you guys taking the time to listen to the podcast. Hopefully so far, it's entertaining. Um, my family, we are having a good time, as you can possibly tell. And for you guys to take the time out to participate in the poll during these crazy times, we really do appreciate it. And thank you, thank you, thank you. I really like the responses. I'm Again, I'm really astounded by the response because maybe, I, well, it's not maybe, I know I am jaded. And in fact, I wouldn't, you know, I would probably shut the door, but I would not sit down and tell my story. I understand how it could be important for 61% of you to say, I'm going to sit down and tell my story because you want to tell your story of your loved one and how important that person was and how special they were. So I understand the 61%. Me, I probably slide on the side of the 39%. I wouldn't stop across their face, but I probably just shut the door. So again, thank you so much for participating in the podcast. Question of the day. I'm hoping that you are enjoying the podcast so far, and we're going to get back to uh, hitting the streets. So, um, before we wrap up this episode, I really wanted to go back and take a step back to chapter three. Mm. Oh, yeah, the, the cold chapter. Mm. That's what Philip Vincent called it. <laughs> well, the cold free. chapter. He yeah. said, woo, put on that jacket. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what, made, what, made, what made it cold for you, Phil? What, what, what did chapter three make, you know, that's our boy William Gladden. So, mm-hmm. the the chapter three for me, it was, it was just chilling because some of the verbiage that uh, Michael Connolly used to describe um, this, the, not only the scene, but some of the surroundings. It just, it just was bone chilling. I, I, I made, a, I made a, a little joke um, about how reading chapter three, I, I had to put a hoodie on because it was so, <laughs> it, it was, it was cold. You're mm-hmm. reading it and you're like, it's, 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 it's kind of chilly. It's dark. It was it's, dark. It's very dark. It was the first dark piece of the book, in my opinion. I mean, not that the death isn't dark, but dark, creepy. Yeah. What you said? It's creepy. I mean, because it's like, it's such a happy scene, and to know that there was just such an, a creepy character yes. in the midst of all of that mm-hmm. happiness, it makes you feel, uh, it's like a disconcerting feeling. Um, I don't know if I said that word right, but like it's, it's, it makes you feel very off. Um, that, you know, in, in the middle of any happy scene, there could be somebody out to get you. Right. Uh, it, it just was creepy. And the, the creepiest thing about it was the fact that whenever we hear about these, you know, serial killers, mm-hmm. they, they don't look, you know, they're not noticeable. You right. know, they're just not noticeable people. And it really struck me when they talked about, uh, sorry, when Michael Connelly talked about how w- William... Um, had seen this woman who looked him in the eye. He looked away. He was worried. He went back to his car. And then it says, the woman taking tickets had already forgotten about him. Mm-hmm. He was safe. 
And it's like he was he was safe. He was unnoticeable. And he was able to do what he was going to do without anybody ever yeah. remembering him. Yeah. yeah. Well, even oh, go ahead, mom. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead, Betty. So even as the um, the, the chapter opens, um, Michael Connolly opens it up with this that that whole opening sequence. It says uh, from the bo- from the book. It says. William Gladden's eyes scanned the happy faces as they moved past him. It was like a giant vending machine. Uh-huh. Take your pick. Do you don't don't, don't like him? Here comes another. She will she do? Like that is just <laughs> that was just crazy. Your skin, it's like the hair on your skin just starts to come up. And just uh, again, from what I said earlier, just the words and the verbiage. If you close your eyes, you can kind of imagine that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just it puts you right there in right. the middle of the Santa Monica's Pier. It's just you can that you is. can see it. And I loved you had mentioned a um a, a an excerpt of the book of this chapter earlier to me where you talked about where he said he didn't love it because it wasn't original. And according to the story in the display case, it took six years to hand paint the galloping horses and restore it to its original condition. He didn't love it because it had been featured in a lot of movies that he had seen over the years, especially while in Rayford. And he didn't love it because it brought to mind memories of riding with the best pile with his best pile on the merry-go-round at the Sarasota County Fair. Mm. He loved it because of the children who mm. rode on it. Mm. Innocence. And oh my gosh. And so it was just like all those layers that just kind of, you know, layered up to that last line. He loved it because of the children who rode on it. So let's continue to talk about that now. So you had said something earlier. Yeah, I do have a theory. What's your theory about this? I bought Billy William. I believe that Gladden, that's his name, right? Yes. Gladden is the killer of Teresa. Oh. That is Teresa's killer. And we're, we're going to be, since Teresa's death was so profound to Sean, we're going to be following the killer of Teresa and finding out the particular, the, the, the different uh, clues and mm-hmm. um, what really happened with that case as we're starting to piece together who the poet is. Who killed Sean? Yeah, because I actually I I, I kind of wrote Gladden off as not being the one to um, kill Sean. Kill Sean mm-hmm. because primarily when you, when when serial killers or killers in general they usually have some kind of uh, itinerary, some kind of profile uh, profile that okay. they yeah. go by. So you're not going to go from. Um, robbing a convenience store for a candy bar or something like that to go into killing police officers. Right, so right. When I when I saw you know when this particular chapter uh, gives us the kind of a inside look on Gladden, I kind of ruled him out. Okay. Uh, of, of the poet of the poet, but then as with, being the poet. Yeah, but then with your theory, Teresa Lofton was not a child. But they they did talk about how she had a childlike manner to her, you mm. know. Or I mean, but then again, she wasn't a child, so you're right. Did, did, did yeah, she was a college student. She, she was, was a college student. But that doesn't mean that your theory isn't right. It just, it, it'll be interesting to see why did he end up killing her. Yes. Maybe she saw something yes. that she wasn't supposed to see. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it could be the same way with the poet. We can't say that the poet didn't kill 
Teresa. Mm -hmm. It's just that maybe she he killed her because she saw something that she didn't see. Yeah, Teresa's a huge and I, I knew that off the bat mm -hmm. that Teresa was gonna be a huge part of this story because of how many times they mentioned her. It okay. wasn't just a one off. But her no. name by name kept coming up, coming up, coming. It wasn't just a random case. It was like Teresa, Teresa, Teresa. Okay. Uh, in the first chapter. So no, I think that she's gonna have a lot to, to do with this story. So now that leads us to this part of the podcast where I would like to say my everyone counts or no one counts person. And my everyone counts or no one counts person who I want to see if we can get a consensus is who or what happened in this particular four chapters that you think stood out, stood above, caused you to want to give a shout out to of, of, um, of something of note. So my everyone counts or no one counts person is the captain. Who got Captain Groland, who got up from the desk to let Jack read the case jacket, the, and so he can get a more insight to uh, what happened to Sean. So mm. I'm going to put my everyone counts or no one counts person for me is Captain Groland. What about you, Philip Benson? Or do um, you have one? I mine is Jack. I, okay. I, I feel I, for for whatever reason, reading these four chapters so far, I'm. I'm incredibly into Jack. You mm -hmm. know, I, I don't know if it's the, the words right. that Monica Connolly uses to describe what Jack is feeling and seeing, mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, whenever Jack's uh, part is, is, whenever you're reading Jack's part, I can literally close my eyes and I can almost see or feel exactly how he feels. Mm -hmm. I can see or hear the things that he hears. Um, even when it comes down to, like I said earlier, when that car ride, mm -hmm. uh, you you don't, they don't, there's not much dialogue going in between, mm -hmm. but you can at least feel how he feels about losing someone that's close to him. Mm -hmm. So, for mine is Jack. Okay, mm -hmm. so do you have anyone or any situation, I don't have any person, but even a situation, but uh, do you have a, anyone counsel or situation you wanna say kind of for you some sums up or exemplifies these four these four chapters? Oh, exemplifies these four chapters. Um, so I was fighting between two. Sorry, I'm gonna cheat. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> the first one was Riley. I think she would sum up a lot of these chapters just because I cannot, uh, on the opposite side of Jack, we're seeing it from Jack's perspective. But I feel like him and Riley are on like a 
a similar pattern in terms of what their grief is is ha- what's happening with mm-hmm. them um and how sudden it was like her reaction outside of the officers was the most real yes um and so i think she sums up a lot of these chapters and i think we're going to find out a lot more from her we already started to with the fact that shaw was going to therapy sessions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something that jack didn't know but something that i just don't want us to forget and i said it before is just Teresa lofton I know that her case is going to be just such a profound, it's going to be as profound as Sean's case. I, I think it's, they're, they're both very prominent to the story. Okay, Mom. I, I was, that kind of leads to mine, where mine is Sean, mm. is the okay. fact that um, the whole purpose behind the story is his death. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 but you know, that could lead into Teresa as well, because whatever that connection between Sean and Teresa yes. is what caused his death. That's true. I don't know what it is about that. And, and, and I could be wrong, but I feel like Sean's death is the foundation of what we're dealing with and what's going to carry the story. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. What about you, Dad? Oh, I, I, I said it, Captain Groland. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but why did you feel Captain Groland? Again, to re- to repeat, I like the fact of the the um, the relationship for him to take on to get up from the desk to let Jack see something that's. Um, it's classified. Okay. No, it's classified. Mm-hmm. And what goes back to what I was saying about that police relationship, that police and reporter's relationship, Roland trusts Jack enough mm-hmm. that he's going to write what's correct, yes. mm-hmm. not not be sensationalized. You know, whatever. He's going to do it right. He's going right. to do it justice. Right. That, I wish we, as law enforcement and as society, could get back to that. And I believe that Jack, on the flip side, would do the police department solid and do them a solid by not sensationalizing and making things simple right. and putting always the bad police and black, you know, there's nuances of what happened. You know, it's easy to write about the bad things that police officers do, but maybe it happened because of lack of training or lack of experience. It's not, it's bad that it happened, but whatever Jack writes, he would give at least the police department a fair shake. In his writing, so I like that. That's why I liked him for that. So thank you for mom. Thank you for um, um, pushing me on that. Make sure because I didn't make it clear why I liked him. Yeah, I was just to add to what you were saying though. I think I, I remember with Jack stating that he um, he's a writer that he doesn't just write the facts. Mm. You know? Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. so you, what you said just kind of made me remember the fact that he talked very dearly about the fact that he believes in writing eloquent. He wants to write the story. He wants to make sure that the person who is reading his story continues to read it. Mm-hmm. Because you can write a whole bunch of facts, mm-hmm. but someone can stop reading those facts halfway through. You need to tell the story. The nuances. The nuances of it. So um, the Captain Groland allowing him to um, look at that file, gave him what he needed to see the story because Wexler wasn't going to let him look no, at it. No. Or, or Scolari. Saw, Scolari wasn't yeah, going to let him look Scolari. at it. So, you know, he. Another um, witness, another, another, yep, that's uh, another possible person. Possible person. <laughs> so, yeah, so I. Uh, that That's what, when you said that, I just wanted to point that out.
concludes chapters one through four review of the poet. Thanks for hanging in there with us. And please continue to go to Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, while you're there, don't forget to rate us five stars or better. And also, please, comments, comments, comments. You know, how did you feel about this podcast today? How did you like Sydney? Did Philip Vincent get on your nerve? <laughs> what about Cheryl? Did, was she wrong for saying, I didn't tell her about the narrow? <laughs> I don't think so. I told you about the narrow. I, I remember. <laughs> also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content where you will find a more detailed experience concerning Jack McAvoy and Michael Conley. So next up on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we will continue our deep dive into the poet. I'm Philip Parker. I'm Cheryl Parker. Philip Parker. Sydney Parker. And we're 10-7 plus for the remainder. Bye.